chapter seven of rousseau and education according to nature by thomas davidson this librivox recording is in the public domain rousseau's educational theories boyhood emile book three i slept and dreamt that life was beauty i woke and found that life was duty when a boy has learnt his letters and is beginning to understand what is written as before he understood only what was spoken they put into his hands the works of great poets which he reads at school in these are contained the encomia of ancient famous men which he is required to learn by heart in order that he may desire to become like them plato protagoras rousseau's solitary pupil reaches the age of twelve years without having learnt to do anything but play in playing he has exercised his muscles nerves and senses he has no knowledge of man he does not reason his sole motive is sensuous pleasure but he is supple alert healthy and docile like a well-trained young dog moreover he is exuberantly happy because his strength is far in advance of his needs and because the absorbing passion of manhood has not yet awakened in him thus the years from twelve to fifteen form a period of altogether exceptional free energy which must be seized upon and directed surreptitiously of course to the best ends as rousseau conceives them this in fact is the time to cultivate the sixth sense which is called common sense not so much because it is common to all men as because it results from the well-regulated use of the other senses and because it instructs us in the nature of things through the convergence of all their appearances this sense he continues has no special organ it resides solely in the brain and its sensations which are purely internal are called perceptions or ideas it is by the number of these ideas that the extent of our knowledge is measured it is their definiteness and clearness that constitutes correctness of thinking it is the art of comparing them that we call human reason thus what i called sensitive or childish reason consists in forming simple ideas by the union of several sensations and what i call intellectual or human reason consists in forming complex ideas by the union of several simple ideas it is hardly worth while to comment upon this crude sensuous chemical psychology to have been condemned to it was the penalty paid by rousseau for his superficial acquaintance with philosophy and his contempt for it at this stage in their career boys are still to be guided by immediate sensuous interests moral motives are to play no part the subjects suitable for study are few of the departments of knowledge within our reach some are false others useless others only minister to the conceit of their possessors the few that really contribute to our well-being are alone worthy of the attention of a wise man and therefore of a child whom we mean to turn into one of these few again those must be excluded 
which demand for their study a developed intelligence such for example as those dealing with the relations of man to man what remains is the experimental natural sciences whose objects are the visible heaven and earth curiosity now supervenes upon bodily restlessness as a motive but this curiosity is no mere mental or spiritual need of man's the innate desire for well-being and the impossibility of completely satisfying it make him continually seek for new means of contributing to it such is the first principle of curiosity a principle natural to the human heart but one whose development strictly keeps pace with our passions and our lights footnote it never seems to have dawned for an instant upon rousseau either that there could be any intellectual needs or motives or that there was any value in a developed intelligence as such in the footnote banish a philosopher to a desert island with instruments and books and convince him that he must pass the remainder of his life there he will hardly trouble himself any more about the system of the world the laws of attraction or the differential calculus he will perhaps not open a book again in his life this experiment whose result is to say the least very doubtful suffices to prove to rousseau that these studies are not natural to man therefore they are to be ruled out the island of the human race is the earth the object that most strikes our eyes is the sun as soon as we turn away from ourselves our attention must direct itself to one or the other geography and astronomy are therefore now in order but these subjects are not to be taught by means of books maps globes or charts they are to be studied in the presence of the objects themselves and that too in the most matter-of-fact fashion no feeling in the presence of nature's sublimities is to be looked for the child perceives objects but he cannot perceive their relations he cannot hear the sweet harmony of their concert how shall the song of birds cause him a voluptuous emotion if the accents of love and pleasure are still unknown to him rousseau reports various tricks and devices for inducing children to think what is implied in such natural phenomena as sunrise and sunset and to represent it to themselves by means of circles and teetotums the matter of geographical study is to be the country where the child lives and the features of this he is to draw as well as he can he is to be initiated into the mysteries of magnetism by means of wax ducks modelled about a magnetic needle and made to swim about after a magnet but lest he should plume himself upon this new and strange discovery and take to showing it off an elaborate conspiracy is entered into with a professional magician to humble his vanity by trickery in presence of an assembled and gaping crowd and the poor child guilty of having shown one natural feeling is once more reduced to the condition of a marionette rousseau congratulates himself on the result all the detail of this example means more than it seems how many lessons in one how many mortifying consequences flow from the first movement of vanity young teacher carefully watch this first movement if you can make it produce humiliation and disgrace in this way be sure it will be long before a second occurs 
what elaborate preparations you will say i agree in all to make a compass to take the place of a meridian footnote quintilian was wiser when he said vanity is a vice but it is the parent of many virtues End of footnote. this conspiracy is typical in all cases the main thing is not to impart knowledge to the child but to guard him against the formation of false ideas or the acceptance of any that do not grow out of his own individual experience a secret effort may be made to secure his continuous attention but constraint must never be applied it must always be pleasure or desire that produces this attention it is always of less importance that the child should learn than that he should do nothing against his inclination all attempts to make the child overcome his inclinations in favour of moral action are to be avoided as useless and denaturalizing in course of time toward the age of fifteen the child will begin to grow self-conscious to know what is good for him and to seek it his good is simply sensuous well-being without moral regard he must now be induced to direct his mind to useful objects and the notion of the useful must now become his guiding star he is to study nothing which he does not see to be useful for his own special sensuous ends these are to be the limits of his curiosity in fact he is to be carefully trained in sordid selfishness lest he should form false conceptions footnote compare the saying of aristotle in the footnote if a child trained in this way should express doubts regarding the usefulness of astronomy to him he is to be cured of them in this way he and his tutor are to lose themselves in the forest we no longer says rousseau know where we are footnote this of course is false as regards the tutor end of footnote and when the time comes to return we cannot find our way the time passes the heat comes we are hungry we hasten we wander vainly from side to side much heated much disappointed very hungry we only lose ourselves more and more finally we sit down not to rest but to deliberate after a few moments of silence i say to him in an anxious tone my dear emile how are we to get out of this emile dripping with perspiration and weeping bitter tears replies i know nothing about it i'm tired i'm hungry i'm thirsty i'm all used up they finally look at their watches emile carries a watch and find that it is noon knowing that their home is to the south of the forest and remembering that at noon the sun casts its shadow to the north they thus find out the direction of the south and following it are soon in sight of home hereupon emile shouts let us breakfast let us dine let us run quick astronomy is good for something thus he learns that astronomy is a useful science useful in helping a big tired hungry crybaby accompanied by his tutor to find his way home and this is the child who has been reared as a savage and taught to bear heat cold hunger pain fatigue and to find his way in the dark i hate books says rousseau they only teach us to talk about what we don't know nevertheless emile is at last to learn to read then his one book is to be robinson crusoe and the reason is this robinson crusoe alone on his island deprived of the aid of his fellow-men and of the instruments of all the arts and nevertheless providing for his own subsistence and protection and even attaining a certain sort of well-being is an interesting object for any age 
and may be rendered attractive to children in a thousand ways this state i admit is not that of the social man but it is by this same state that he must value all the rest the surest way to rise above prejudice and to shape one's judgment by the true relations of things is to put oneself in the place of the isolated man and to judge all things as this man having regard to his own usefulness must judge them emile will be fascinated with robinson crusoe i want him says rousseau to lose his head over it to be continually absorbed by his castle his goats his plantations to learn in detail not by books but by things all that it is necessary to know in such a case to imagine that he is robinson himself dressed in skins wearing a big hat a great sabre and all the grotesque trappings of the figure except the parasol which he will not need i wish him to be anxious about what he would do if this or that should happen to fail to examine his hero's conduct to see if he has omitted anything or if anything could be done better to note carefully his faults and to profit by them so as not to commit similar ones for you may be sure that he will plan to go and set up a similar establishment this is the real air-castle of this blessed age when one knows no other happiness than necessities and freedom with these childish thoughts in his head footnote most children get over the robinson crusoe stage by the age of seven henry thoreau was a notable exception End of footnote. he will be eager to learn all the natural arts that is such arts as are necessary for the solitary man he must as long as possible be prevented from taking any interest in those that require cooperation you see says rousseau thus far i have not spoken to my pupil about men he would have too much good sense to listen to me his relations with his kind are not yet pronounced enough to enable him to judge of others by himself he knows no human being but himself and himself very imperfectly but if he pronounces few judgments on himself those he does pronounce are at least just he knows nothing about the place of others but he feels his own and keeps himself in it instead of social laws which he cannot know we have bound him with chains of necessity he is still hardly anything more than a physical being let us continue to treat him as such with regard to the natural arts rousseau says the first and most respectable of all the arts is agriculture i should give blacksmithing the second place carpentry the third and so on nevertheless since agriculture is incompatible with vagabond freedom and blacksmithing untidy he chooses carpentry for his pupil it is cleanly it is useful it may be carried on in the house it calls upon the workmen for dexterity and industry and the usefulness of its products does not exclude elegance and taste rousseau deprecates all crafts that are unhealthy or effeminate that deform the body disgust the senses or turn those who practise them into automata or machines on the other hand if your pupil's genius should show a decided bent for the speculative sciences then he says i should not object to his being allowed to follow a craft conformable to his inclinations to his learning for example to make mathematical instruments spectacles telescopes etc footnote here he was evidently thinking of spinoza in the footnote rousseau who may fairly claim the honour of being the father of manual training would have every child learn a trade and on this subject he makes some very pungent remarks in reply to a fond mother who exclaims a handicraft for my son my son an artisan do you think of such a thing sir 
he says madam i think better than you who want to reduce him to a state in which he can never be anything but a lord of a marquis a prince footnote compare burns a man's a man for that a king can mack a belt of knicked a marquis duke and all that but an honest man's a bun his micked good faith and mana fa that burns derived not only the thought of this poem but many other things good and evil from rousseau End of footnote. and perhaps some day less than nothing while i want to confer on him a rank which he cannot lose a rank which shall honour him at all times i want to raise him to the dignity of a man and say what you will he will have fewer equals in that rank than in those he may inherit from you while admitting that the isolated man may do as he pleases he insists that in society everybody must work work is a duty indispensable for man in society richer poor stronger weak the citizen who does not work is a scoundrel and manual labour is to be preferred to every other as affording the greatest freedom of all occupations fitted to yield man a subsistence that which comes nearest to the state of nature is manual toil of all conditions the most independent of fortune and of men is that of the artisan he depends only on his labour he is as free as the ploughman is bound for the latter is tied to his land whose crop is at the mercy of others by means of this land he may be harassed in a thousand ways whereas if an attempt is made to harass an artisan he can directly pull up his stakes go off and take his two arms with him in learning a trade emile can hardly fail to realize that co-operation in labour is valuable and he may be allowed to make some reflections on this matter and to think of men as united by industrial or material ties whose meaning is within his reach but no effort must be made to make him understand any other ties since he has not the experience which would enable him to understand them the force of this rule we shall see later in connection with the subject of industry rousseau takes occasion to air some of his economic and sociological doctrines and though the bearing of these upon his educational theories is but indirect it is no less real and important on that account we must therefore refer to them according to rousseau it is every man's first duty imposed by nature to live since of all the aversions with which nature inspires us the strongest is the aversion to die it follows that nature allows a man to do anything that is absolutely necessary to preserve his life the principles through which the virtuous man learns to despise his life and sacrifice himself to his duty are far removed from this primitive simplicity happy the peoples among whom one can be good without effort and just without virtue footnote in other words among whom goodness and justice are the result of blind instinct and not of progressive moral effort or exertion of free choice the whole of rousseau's moral theory is here having himself no moral will he tried to prove that men might be virtuous without such a thing End of footnote. if there is any wretched nation in the world in which it is not possible for every citizen to live without doing wrong and where the citizens are rascals from necessity it is not the wrongdoer that should be hanged but he who forces him to become such as if any one could be forced to do wrong against his will this illogical and immoral doctrine has made dangerous fanatics without number and encouraged criminals to hold society responsible for their crimes it has further led to numerous attempts to moralize men by merely altering their surroundings when the true method would have been to strengthen their wills through discipline and to teach them that life without virtue is worthless 
rousseau is opposed to inherited wealth the man or the citizen he says whoever he be has nothing to contribute to society but himself all his other goods are in it in spite of him and when a man is rich he either does not enjoy his wealth or the public enjoys it also in the former case he steals from others what he deprives himself of in the latter he gives them nothing thus his social debt remains altogether undischarged until he pays it with what is his own but my father earned it as an equivalent for services rendered to society you will say granted he paid his debt but not yours you owe more to others than if you had been born penniless because you were born favoured it is not just that what one man has done for society should relieve another from the debt which he owes it for every one owing his entire self to it can pay only for himself and no father can bequeath to his son the right to be useless to his fellows and yet this is what according to you he does by bequeathing to him his wealth which is the proof and price of his labour he who eats in idleness what he has not himself earned steals it and a bondholder whom the state pays for doing nothing hardly differs in my eyes from a highway robber who lives at the expense of travellers this specious nonsense which contains the germs of the worst forms of socialism derives its entire force from the fact that rousseau while granting a continuous personality to society denies it to the family but surely if society has a right to bequeath to future generations what it obtains through an exchange the family when it is the other party to the transaction cannot be denied the same right such transmission does not remove wealth from society and the mere possession of wealth whether earned or inherited has nothing whatever to do with a man's duty to serve society the idler is a rotten and burdensome branch of the social tree whether he be a penniless tramp or a landed millionaire but socialism is hostile to the family rousseau poured contempt upon the accumulated treasures of human experience and upon all the means whereby they are made available to individual minds books studies schools colleges universities social intercourse having himself very little knowledge and very little power of continuous thinking he could not conceive that other men should desire to be unlike him he despised high thinking and all attempts through sustained inquiry and rigorous thought to make the world rational and to determine the place and destiny of man as a rational being in it in the place of such thought which is essentially universal and therefore social he put vague sentiment and emotional intuition which like mystic experiences depending upon temperament are individual and unsocial since our errors come from our judgments he says it is clear that if we never had to judge we should never have to learn and never be liable to deceive ourselves we should be happier in our ignorance than we can be in our knowledge who denies that scholars know a thousand true things which the ignorant will never know are the scholars therefore nearer the truth on the contrary they get further from it as they go on because since the vanity of judging makes more progress than light does every truth they learn is sure to come with a hundred false judgments it is clear as daylight that the learned societies of europe are merely public schools of lies and it is very certain that there are more errors in the academy of sciences than among the whole huron race footnote 
these judgments show what good reason rousseau had to speak of the vanity of judging and to praise ignorance in the footnote since the more men know the more they deceive themselves the only way to avoid error is ignorance do not judge and you will never be duped this is the lesson of nature as well as of reason apart from a very small number of very sensible relations between things and ourselves we have naturally a profound indifference for all the rest a savage would not turn his foot to see the working of the finest machine or all the prodigies of electricity what does it matter to me is the phrase most familiar to the ignorant and most suitable to the wise though in spite of this rousseau admits that men when forced out of the savage state must judge footnote it is needless to say that even the lowest savage in so far as he is conscious judges for consciousness which even the brutes possess is nothing more or less than a complex of judgments to be aware of a feeling is to make a judgment or several he nevertheless continually speaks of science learning and all that depends upon them as degradations and necessary evils in this way he favoured obscurantism and superstition but alongside such evil teachings rousseau had others which were of a different nature his attacks upon luxury display and the vain waste of wealth and his eloquent praises of plain simple modest living have laid humanity for ever under deep obligations to him here the fervid passion-tipped arrows of his rhetoric which on other occasions turned men into anarchic fanatics roused them from their dull inertly blind lethargy the inheritance from centuries of use and want and made millions of them who had been crouching before and struggling after wealth and conventional position see that under their very hands and eyes were all the treasures of nature and the possibilities of a life which made these things seem contemptible when a century later emerson said give me health in a day and i will make the pomp of emperors ridiculous he had been to school to rousseau footnote so insensibly indeed that the reader fails to observe how or that it is done End of footnote. i insensibly impart to my pupil a taste for reflection and meditation to counterbalance the sloth which would result from his indifference to men's judgments and from the calm of the passions he must toil like a peasant and think like a philosopher in order not to be as indolent as a savage the great secret of education is to make bodily and mental exercises always serve as recreations from each other looking back upon the progress made in this period rousseau says at first our pupil had only sensations now he has ideas footnote as if there were such things as simple sensations in the footnote now he judges footnote as if he could feel without judging in the footnote for from the comparison of several successive or simultaneous sensations and from the judgment pronounced on them arises a sort of mixed or complex sensation which i call idea footnote judgment it seems is a chemical action among sensations in the footnote the manner of forming ideas he continues is what imparts character to the human mind and he gives a long list of mental characteristics arising from different ways of doing so then follows a passage so characteristic that it must be quoted simple ideas are but compared sensations there are judgments in the simple sensations as well as in the complex sensations which i call ideas 
in sensation the judgment is purely passive it affirms that what is felt is felt footnote surely affirmation is an act not a passion End of footnote. in the perception or idea the judgment is active it brings together it compares it determines relations which the sense does not determine footnote by what means can it do this End of footnote this is all the difference but it is great nature never deceives us it is we that deceive ourselves footnote if we are so completely opposed to nature what reason can there be for educating us according to nature End of footnote. it seems plain that if the last statement is true and self-deception is a vice we are innately vicious but to return to emile he has few acquirements in the way of knowledge but those he has are truly his own he knows nothing by halves in the small number of things which he knows and knows well the most important is that there are many which he does not know but which he may know some time many more which other men know but which he will never know all his life and an infinity of others which no man will ever know footnote that he or anybody else could arrive at such knowledge as this is a miracle surely End of footnote emile has only natural and purely physical knowledge he does not know even the name of history or the meaning of metaphysics or morals he knows the essential relations of men to things but none of the moral relations of man to man he knows little about how to generalize ideas or to make abstractions footnote rousseau does not see that every idea whether simple or complex involves both generalization and abstraction End of footnote he sees qualities common to certain bodies without reasoning about these qualities themselves he knows abstract extension by the help of geometrical figures and abstract quantity by means of algebraic signs footnote it is certain that he would never know either by any such means End of footnote. these figures and signs are the support of those abstractions upon which his senses rest he does not try to know things through their nature but only through the relations which interest him he estimates what is foreign to him only by its relation to himself but this estimation is accurate and certain fancy and convention play no part in it he lays most stress upon what is most useful to him and never departing from this way of estimating he sets no store by opinion emile is laborious temperate patient firm courageous his imagination not having been fired in any way never magnifies dangers for him footnote robinson crusoe seems to have proved somewhat firing End of footnote. he is sensible to few evils and he can suffer with firmness because he has not learnt to wrangle with fate in a word emile has all the virtues that relate to himself in order to have also the social virtues he merely requires to have the relations which call for them and the light which his mind is now completely ready to receive he thinks of himself without regard to others and is content that others should not think of him he asks nothing of anybody and does not feel that he owes anything to anybody he is also alone in human society and relies only on himself footnote for what we may ask for his food and clothing for the roof over his head for self-guidance if so his tutor may vanish End of footnote. as much as any one he has a right to do this for he is all that one can be at his age footnote. this is certainly very wide of the truth End of footnote. he has no errors or only such as are inevitable he has no vices 
or only those against which no man is safe footnote we have to take rousseau's word for this he has furnished us no proof for it a boy of fifteen or sixteen with no human relations but those of a puppet worked by the hidden wires of a magician tutor cannot be said to have either virtues or vices his will having never been called into exercise he is altogether in a sub-moral condition knowing neither good nor evil at best he is a well-trained animal End of footnote. his body is healthy his limbs agile he is fair-minded and unprejudiced heart-free and passionless self-love even the first and most natural of all the passions has hardly yet begun to stir without disquieting any one he has lived contented happy so far as nature has allowed footnote no as far as rousseau's utterly false views of nature have allowed in fact emil has all the time been caged watched and trained in ignorance into complete artificiality in the footnote such is emil at the age of puberty an altogether fantastic and impossible creature a human automaton neither man nor beast utterly unloving and unlovable instead of being richly and plastically moulded by the manifold influences of society he has been cast in a rigid beggarly mould by one man's cold caprice calling itself natural necessity End of chapter seven